Blog Talk Radio. edition on the Fight Network of our sports conversation. I'm Don Henderson. We've got our normal group of people around the country. Roy Cummings is down in Tampa, Florida, ready to talk about a number of things, including the Buccaneers and what happened uh, in baseball and 
We then go out to Atlanta, where we've had a big week in Atlanta with the Falcons and, of course, with the Braves. Our master man at control is Frank Carroll. And, Frank, I know you got a dedication before we start. And let's get to that, and then we'll get right to the sports conversation. Thanks, Don. We have a contributing editor every every uh, week uh, who is also a drive-time jock at, uh, in uh, Fort Myers, uh, Bob Alexander. Bob is a uh, – actually, Bob and I go back over 40 years. He played football for me in a, a pro football team that uh, we had in the USFL. Uh, Bob uh, currently is, is not doing very well. He's in the uh, – uh, Tampa area hospital. Uh, he has uh, some gallbladder problems and he has a wrench in the back. And we're going to ask everybody if they just keep a good thought for Bob. He's a tremendous person. He's a, a gentleman to the to the nth degree. He's not only does he uh, do the uh, drive time job work, but he's also a uh, fight referee and goes around the world uh, uh, announcing fights and uh, working fights. Uh, Bob uh, and his uh, lovely wife, Mary, uh, are listening tonight. So, uh, Bob and Mary, we send out our very best to you and and all your family, uh, DJ and the kids. And uh, we wish you uh, a very, very, very successful uh, um, end of this uh, ordeal. No question about it, Frank. And I know a lot of the listeners uh, of our program, of course, are around the country. We broadcast to a lot of folks in Philadelphia because most of us are from the Philadelphia area to start with. And the Philadelphia Village got to go off to a great start behind Wheeler in game number one. Looked like they were on the way to maybe going two for two in San Diego. But right now, down seven to four. So let's first of all talk a little baseball. And we'll bring Roy Cummings in over in Tampa. And Roy, I don't know how much of the game you've had a chance to see, but the Phils looked like they were in great shape to start. Nola on the mound. And. Wheeler with a great performance last night, and everything fell apart. Yeah, uh, unusual for this Phillies team, uh, 27-2 and two and leading by four runs or more. Uh, so very unusual for them, actually, uh, to, to have a lead of that uh, that size and to let it get away. Uh, of course, they still have a chance to get back here. Um, they're going to have a couple more at-bats. They're in the middle of their uh, uh, second-to-last at-bat now with two outs, Kyle Schwarber at the plate. So, But you know what? Look, this team has already won, in my opinion, here in the off season, I mean, you know, you you, you knock out the Cardinals, uh, you knock out the Braves, uh, you you've done some damage here, and you take a one run lead uh, or one game lead rather in in San Diego. Uh, as we talked about last week, guys, they're going to come uh, they're going to come home here in a couple of days to a, an absolutely raucous crowd, and uh, this team has proved that it is good enough to get to the World Series for sure. Um, you know, hey, the Padres got some bats too, so. Uh, What's interesting about today's game is that uh, pro- the, uh, the Phillies' prior uh, seven homers in their previous three games today, no, no power, but uh, so they're showing again. Once it, you know, they're showing that hey, with a couple of blue pits, a uh, broken bat single, and uh, a ball lost in the sun, uh, you can put together a rally. So they're they're, they're not completely dependent on the uh, on the power bats, which uh, they have plenty of. But uh, to me, that's a good sign. It's just a uh, an inch, you know, an inning got away from him, away from Aaron Nola, which is unusual. Uh, run after run scores, and here they are down 7-4. But, again, I, I would say, and look, you've come this far, you obviously want to get to the World Series. But uh, if the Phillies can't come back, and uh, and this, is a true, you know, turns out to be a, a turning point in the series for some reason, 
the other way as opposed to what it was looking like, uh, you know, second, third inning today. Uh, I still think it's been a, a really good season for the Phillies, and uh, I'm not counting them out just yet at all. But uh, they've proven to be a better baseball team, I think, than the record showed uh, throughout the course of the regular season. Roger, before I turn it over to you, one quick comment would be uh, our good friend Billy Warnell, who reports from Florida, from uh, Philly many, many times on our show. And Billy talked about how they were going to handle the St. Louis Cardinals and how they were going to go into the next round of the playoffs and be very competitive. And Billy was right on target. So I'd like to give him a little credit for uh, jumping in. Uh, a lot of people thought the Phillies would go out to St. Louis. They didn't. Uh, they just kept playing better and better baseball. And, Roger, uh, it's up to you. Well, I just saw Schwerber uh, fall down uh, crossing first base. Uh, you know, we've seen injuries happen that are freak like that, and uh, hopefully uh, it's not any any seri- any injury, period. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you, Roy. I, I think that they've uh, accomplished an awful lot this year, just like you said. And they, uh, they've made a statement, and it shows they can come back, and they've been very resilient. And, uh, hey, the game's not over uh, until it's over. So, and then they come home, like you said, and, and they're going to have three games at Citizens Bank Park with raucous crowds. Yeah, they well, are. Right. I think – go, go ahead, ahead, Roy. Sorry. No, 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 no go I, ahead. I think, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're going to break anything down from this team – Clearly, they have, you know, they've improved the pitching in the bullpen, and, and I think that shows. Uh, that that was obviously an area that needed to be improved, and uh, they've gone out and got some arms. They, they they're doing it a little bit doing it a little bit differently now um, than they were. The starting pitching is, you know, when you've got Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola to start uh, uh, to, to to start, you know, your, your rotation, you're in really good shape there. Uh, they beefed up the bullpen, which I like. I think the one thing this team needs to do. Uh, is to get a little bit better defensively uh, yeah. in the corner outfield spots, clearly, and uh, in the middle of the infield. Segura is solid, but they got to figure out shortstop um, and and maybe even first base. The problem there, obviously, is that you don't want to give up any of those bats. You don't want to give up Castellanos. You don't want to give up Schwarber. You don't want to give up Hoskins. You can only have one DH. Um, so, but I think in at least one of those spots, you got to start thinking, okay. Where can we get a little bit better defensively? Bringing in Brandon Marsh helps, um, but you know you're not going to put Brandon Marsh in the in the lineup ahead of uh, uh, ahead of Castellanos or Schwarber probably, and uh, and you know and, and you probably you know again you want Veerling out in center, so it's they're in a bit of a tough spot. But it'll be interesting to see where they go going forward. But hey, I still think this team is capable of winning the World Series this year. Uh, so I'm hoping that happens because I think it'll be a great story, just a great story. Sure would. Well, the thing that the thing that really uh, was brought out, I think Roger, you were making your way from a, from an automobile accident at home, and I don't know whether you had a chance to hear uh, when Castellanos was up uh, after Harper. What a tremendous playoff series Harper has had between L.A. Oh. I mean, between St. Louis and uh, now uh, against the Padres. He's just been. Uh, lights out he's been the mvp he's been the you know 300 million dollar guy that they think he's supposed to be but uh the one thing that uh, castellas was played after harper doubled and uh, they talked about talked about it continually was that he was never moved over to third base they never got that run home to make it you know a seven to five game instead of a seven to four game because nobody was out 
and that's the weakness the Phillies have shown a lot during the course of the year. They have not in the playoffs. They've manufactured those runs. Castellanos did not. He struck out, and uh, that's all they talked about is you can't do that in that situation, especially when you're trailing, Roger. Well, absolutely, and it's been like that for a number of years where they uh, cannot uh, bring home the uh, runs uh, and move players and and, uh, play small ball. They've done it some during the playoffs, but uh, you're exactly right. That's, uh, to me, key hitting has been a uh, problem uh, with them for a while. And, uh, you know, David Robertson got hurt uh, during the uh, playoffs. And it was the Braves when uh, uh, Bryce Harper hit a home run and he jumped up. But it, it'll be interesting because of the uh, Rob Thompson said he was not going to bring him in as a closer in a uh, dire uh Move, dire move, move, so to speak. So uh, here he's coming in when he's behind, and we'll see how he does. Because, Roy, I know you're a big fan of his. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think he's uh, one of the more underrated uh, pitchers in the game. I mean, he's, he's an absolute gamer. He's, he's just a, he's a bulldog type. Uh, he's not afraid to give you an extra inning and a half if you have to. Uh, he'll face the number of batters. And it's a good opportunity for him to you know, to, to, to stretch out the arm a little bit, see where he's at, uh, down by three runs. There's nothing to lose here at this point. Um, but going back to what you were saying about the inability of Castellanos to move a runner over, you know, that again, that's uh, it's another, I almost hate to say weakness with the Phillies, but, you know, they're so dependent. Most of their guys are, 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 are three-run homer guys. You know, Schwarber's a three-run homer guy. Uh, Hoskins is a three-run homer guy. Castellanos is a three-run homer guy. They probably need just maybe one less of those guys and one more guy who can just, you know, put the ball in play, uh, hit it the other way, and, and, and as you said, move a runner over. So uh, I, think the, I think the makeup of the team is, is still very good. And, and boy, you, you hate to get rid of three-run homer guys, but there are times in games where um, – you know, the ability to just move that ball over a little bit to the other side, get the guy, get the runner over, can, can really lead to something big. You can't just sit there, sit back and wait, uh, you know, on the three-run homer all the time. So, again, it's um, – I, I think everybody thought going into this season that uh, this was the ceiling for this team, get to the playoffs. Um, and here they are, uh, you know, right now three wins away from the World Series. So, again, a great season for them. Roster could be tweaked a little bit. We'll see going forward. But, hey, uh, still a chance to win it all here. So uh, it's going to be exciting and really pulling for him. Sure. One will. other thing from a, from a fundamental standpoint, Roy, and it uh, happened yesterday uh, during the course of the season, uh, when the Phillies would make a dramatic error, uh, it would come back to haunt them. And it, it turned out last night in the ninth inning, you know, uh, brought through the ball away at second base. Uh, you got one out already. All you need is 27 outs. You don't have to worry about making a miracle double play. He tried to make a miracle double play and threw the ball away at second base, but the pitching was over was able to overcome the mistake, and they weren't able to do that a lot of times during the course of the season. But uh, fundamentals, as you indicate, uh, you, you gotta you, you gotta think of where you are in the game. You know, get an out. Don't try to make a miracle double play. Make sure you get the first out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, again, to me, that is the Phillies' greatest weakness, is that defensively they are adequate at best. I mean, again, weak in the corners uh, in the outfield, uh, not exceptionally good, just adequate at the corners in the infield. 
usually you want strength up the middle, uh, and they're, they are stronger there. I mean, Real Muto is as good as you get. Uh, the center fielder, whoever it is, whether it's Marsh, Veerling, solid defense there. Segura at second, as long as you got him there, you're good. Bryson Stott's going to be a solid uh, middle infielder. But, again, um, this team, you know, they're still, you know, you don't know it. I mean, we don't look at it that way because a lot of these guys have been around for a long time. Um, they're still young, you know, and, and this is new to a lot of guys, you know. So you're going to have some of those nerves, and uh, and it's going to happen here and there where you're going to make the bad call. But if they can get – Harper healthy, well, now you put him in right, and you got a little bit better defensively. So, uh, you know, that'll be for next year more than likely. But um, we'll see how it goes. But, again, uh, and now David Robertson gives up the home run to Machado, so it's 8-4 now. Looking like, yeah, uh, Machado. One's gonna, yeah, looks like, looks like this one's going to come back to Philadelphia tied a game apiece. Yeah, Machado has not had a good playoff so far, but uh... – just hit one downtown, and so now it's eight to four going into the top of the eighth inning when the Phillies come up. We're still batting in the bottom of the seventh, but uh, that's going to be at least eight to eight to four when the Phillies come up. Roger. Yeah, you know it's hard to believe that uh, the Phillies were debating on whether to assign Machado uh, or uh, or Bryce Harper uh, when they when they did decide to take Harper, and the consensus says been that if you have to uh, pick one or the other uh, as far as uh, melting in the Philadelphia area as far as personality and everything and it's uh, Harper was the right choice. Roy I don't get the uh, the papers down there in Tampa where you are and and, uh, I'm just wondering as we switch down a little bit to pro football and the Bucks. I'm I'm a little concerned about what happened last weekend and I know you're going to address the the Steeler game, but more concerned about the fact that uh, Brady, who did, uh, you know, flew up to New York. Uh, so obviously he must have missed the Saturday walkthrough or workout or whatever and uh, moved into Pittsburgh for Kraft's winning. And, uh, I mean, the whole New York papers were flooded with Brady and, and all he took, uh, all the participation in the wedding. And then, of course, he's got to fly to Pittsburgh, and then he's got to play on Sunday. I don't know when he got in, whether it was Sunday morning or, or what, what, what's been the consensus about what's going on over there with these Bucks. Well, I think the consensus, uh, certainly among the fan base, is, you know, what the heck's going on here? And, um, and, and there's some media that will take on the team and Tom Brady and some that won't, but uh, – at the end of the day, it, you're absolutely right. It is a very concerning situation. Um, you know, you can't ask Tom. Tom Brady can't ask everybody else uh, on this football team to give it, you know, 100% if he's not giving it 100%. He's right. the leader of this football team. They are going to follow him. He's cutting corners. He's taking days off. He's taking multiple days off. Um, you know, just today there was, you know, some things were made about the fact that he actually showed up at practice today. Well, well damn well he should. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he'd been taking Wednesdays off as kind of a uh, – at the beginning of the season he was taking Wednesdays off as kind of a, you know, a, uh, a veteran's, uh, you know, day off to, to, to rest the body. Which Prerogative. Guess, Prerogative. Yeah, but I think it had I think it had something to do with something else. I think it was just another excuse. And bottom line is, he's not committed. The commitment is not the same. And 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 if he tries to tell you it is, he's wrong. Tom Brady five years ago, three years ago, 
never would have left this football team for 11 days in training camp, never would have left on a Saturday before a game uh, to go to a wedding, um, uh, no matter how, you know, off the cuff the wedding was. Apparently it was, you know, a surprise wedding. But he never would have. He just never would have done it. Never would have done it. He, would never take, he never would have taken Wednesdays off. If, you, if you're going to play at 45, okay, well, I'm sorry. You'll get your time off here and there. You know, that, take Thursdays off. Take Fridays off. Whatever it might be. You don't take Wednesday. That's the first day of installation on a, on a game plan. Um, no, the commitment isn't the same. And the team is, is – and it's showing uh, in his play and, and with the team. Now, I understand his stats are, are you know, solid right now, very, very good, 67% uh, completion percentage, um, you know, 92-point passer rating, very nice, really good. A lot of the passes are to the backs, which is fine. Uh, you know, don't really care. Bottom line is this team's underachieving, and um, offensively in particular. The defense is carrying them. Uh, Brady is not uh, is not all in, and uh, the, and the, the Bucks are suffering. I thought it was kind of rich last week that Brady is on the on the sideline screaming at the offensive linemen, and you know most yeah. of them are young and they're going to listen to him. But uh, I, I I would have been a little I would not not have been surprised if a veteran had walked up to him and said, you know, you show up on Wednesdays and, and on the Saturday before the game, and, and then you can pop off at us. Right now, those rings don't mean a damn thing anymore because right now you're not showing up, and uh, and he's not. Roger, do you think uh, Roy? Do you think he regrets now that uh, he didn't stay retired with everything that's happened? I don't think he regrets it yet. It's a good question uh, and a very valid question. I don't think he regrets it yet because I think with situation at home. Uh, he'd be he'd be miserable if he didn't have football. I mean, football may be his first love. It may not be Giselle. It may not even be his kids. Um, football is his first love, I think. And I think without it, he would be absolutely miserable. So this is probably what's keeping him sane right now. But there's something else going on here, guys. I, I and I don't know what. I don't know if it's personal. Uh, I don't know if he's just just doesn't have the passion for it anymore. But something has changed with Tom Brady. And it's not good for the Buccaneers. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know that this has happened. I don't know that it hasn't. Um, but I would think at some point uh, Jason Light and uh, and Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich and, and Todd Bowles and uh, and maybe even the Glazer family that owns the team just needs to sit down with Tom Brady and say, okay, Tom, what, what, what's going on? You need to uh, spill it all and, and let us know where you are with this thing. Because if it's time for us to move on, tell us now. But – you know, don't don't sell us a bill of goods here. Don't say you're going to be you're going to lead this football team, and then suddenly disappear. Uh, you know, in the middle of the work week, that that can't happen. You you've got you know you got to commit yourself. You know, Bill Belichick was invited to the same wedding as Tom Brady was, and Bill Belichick said, "No, I've got work to do. I've got uh, I got a game." Very Tom Brady isn't that and, and something different? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, fellas, let's leave it right there. Roy, once again, thank you very, very much. As always, we'll pick up on that and many, many other things next Wednesday night. Have a good dinner tonight. We'll check in with you next week. Hey, Roy, before you go, we got to say one thing. How about the Flyers? 3-0, they're down 1-0 to Florida, and they beat the Lightning. How about that? That was a surprise. Down one nothing just means they're going to make they're going to come back and win their fourth straight in a comeback victory. So uh, 
Uh, that, that team is worth talking about, guys. We'll get to that uh, soon as well. Okay, great. Take care. Have a great week, Thanks, Roy. Roy. Thanks, Roy. Thanks, You're up next, and uh, baseball's on our mind. We talked a little bit about it the first half hour, also talked football. But, Stevie, first of all, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. My first question is, give me your status on baseball as we look at these playoffs. Um, it's, it's been enjoyable. You know, the series have been interesting. The, uh, the games have been competitive, uh, some great moments, you know, a, a postseason. if you're not, if you don't have vested interest in a team is often defined by the moments that we get to watch, you know, and there's been some great, there's been some great moments. The, uh, you know, um, Seattle coming back in Toronto was fantastic. Verdano Alvarez hitting the three run walk-off bomb on Robbie Ray was another moment. Uh, Cleveland taking the game, game five and Nestor Cortez pitching as well as he did is another one. Um, Cleveland coming back with, you know, the three runs in the ninth, um, piecing together that inning um, to, to, you know, get to get the jump on New York was another great moment. Uh, so overall, it's, you know, that, that's how a postseason is, is, you know, the benchmark is great moments. And so far this year, we've had quite a few. Before I turn it over to Roger, uh, one quick point. One, when you got a team that won 111 games, another one in 95 games, and is struggling now to get up, make the next move against the Astros, and then you got the Cleveland, the, the Cleveland, what are they? Not, not Indians, they work. Whatever, whatever the hell they are, yeah, whatever they are. But uh, you, you know, you got teams that win all these games, and none of them are going to be around. Well, just keep in mind that it's nothing new. 111-win team by the Dodgers. Look at the 1998 Yankees. They think they won 114 games and they won the World Series. Okay, that's so there's an example of the team that, that did that. The 2001 right. Seattle Mariners, they won 116 games and were knocked out in the, in the ALDS, I believe, and they yes. didn't win. So it's not a novelty. I mean, it's nothing new that an 111-win team uh, doesn't make the playoffs. And if you go back, you know, you can stick to the Atlanta Braves, and I think they were in the playoffs for 13 straight years in one World one World Series and had a very good record in uh, several of those other seasons. Like six or seven of those, they had won 97 to 102 games um, and didn't win the World Series. So when you're looking at teams that win 90 games or win 110 games and they don't win the World Series, that's the beauty of the postseason in Major League Baseball. It's not new. It's not a novelty. It's just the feature of the postseason. And has Roger, give you, give you another one, uh, Steve. The uh, Phillies, uh, when they didn't win the World Series and they won 102 games. You know, we had a couple of years after they won the World Series. You know, when they had Halliday and uh, Lee yeah. and – uh, you know they didn't they didn't make it to the World Series and they're same thing as you're saying. Yeah, I, I don't really like to, to talk about that Phillies team. If you uh, if you if you want to know the honest truth, uh, the 2008 Phillies are not one of my favorite teams. So we we can just we can just move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this, yeah, this was I think wasn't it ten or ten yeah. uh, or eleven right when they hit one hundred and two. Yeah, I just I, I avoid any kind of discussion of the World Series winning Phillies team of 2008. <laughs> well, I look at well, I, I look at these Padres. I look at these Padres now, and, and of course uh, it's going to be one one after uh, at least it appears that way after tonight's game. They're down eight to four, 
But they're 20 games behind the Los Angeles Dodgers to win the regular season. I mean, you played 162 games for what? To be 20 games behind and still get in the playoffs and still be in down the second round? Yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a function of baseball. And if the TV ratings plummet and the ticket sales go away and the and all that, then they'll they'll have to make a change. But right now, everybody's digging this, and ratings are good, and the games are good, and there's really nothing negative to say about it. You know, I mean, you're well, they're all games, saying they're all saying now they want that second round to be they want that second round to be seven games instead of five. They don't want they don't want a team like yeah. the Dodgers to be knocked out of a five game series in the second round. Well, do you think they would have finished twenty games behind the Dodgers if they had Brandon Drury? Uh, <laughs> Josh Bell and uh, Juan Soto for the entire year. I mean, it's a different team that's out there right now than was there April through J- July. You know, I mean, right? And that uh, April through July, Trent Grisham couldn't hit the. You know, he couldn't hit the save his life. I mean, he had no power and nothing. And now he's got a little bit of power in his game. But you know, every team's different. Every, the the postseason is fun, be, simply because when you win, like last year, you know, I can go back down here in Tampa Bay, you know, and uh. Uh, the Rays win 100 games. They win the American League East. They're feeling good. The Boston Red Sox come in and they take them in four. You know, it's season over. Goodbye, Tampa Bay. You won 100 games in the regular season, win the division, but that doesn't mean anything in the postseason. So uh, that's kind of the same as, um, you know, it's very similar now to hockey. In hockey, the President's Cup trophy winner doesn't always go to the Stanley Cup final. And a lot of times the eight seed, more often than basketball or any other sport, the eight seed will beat the one seed or the seven will beat the two. And just because you're a one or two seed in the NHL, it's a second season. You know, everything's different. And baseball's kind of the same. You know, it's getting to the dance. You know, do what you got to do in the regular season to get there. And then once you're there, it doesn't you throw everything else, you throw it away, just like the NHL. Roger? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, we're and about that, you know, Steve. Let me ask. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, what has been your biggest surprise in uh, these results, uh, where the favorite team uh, is was eliminated? That's number one. And I was reading today. I think in the uh, New York Post. Uh, that the fandom uh, out of, uh, uh, in Chavez Ravine uh, are really, they want Dave Roberts gone. Uh, do you think that'll happen? And uh, what has been your biggest surprise? I'm, not, I'm never, I, I've talked to you guys before. I believe in pitching. I, baseball to me is about striking guys out, and the guy in the center, the diamond, uh, is responsible for that. And with this, you know, the jackrabbit ball in baseball is gone. It has been all year. So you've got your power hitters that can hit home runs, but you still got these pitchers that are throwing mean pitches and stuff. And I watch these games, and, you know, they're low, they're lower scoring usually. I know right now as I'm talking, it's eight to four, so I sound crazy. But for the most part, if you can, you know, if you don't give up four runs, you're going to win the game. You know, all you have to do is put up three or four runs, and you're probably going to win the game. Um, so. I eliminate a lot of the offensive firepower in the playoffs. I really don't look at it. During the 162-game season, you got to score runs to win. You know, you got to have an offense that can sit consistently can go out there and put up some runs. As soon as I get to the postseason, I, I, I look at offense and I just throw it to the side. I say, you know what, it's going to be a matter of does the, 
it, it's more a reflection of does the pitcher have it that night, how's the bullpen look that night, and then I go from there. So when I'm looking at a team like the Dodgers going up against, you know, the Padres, and I look at who the Padres are starting with, you know, with Musgrove or Darvish or Blake Snell or, um, you know, Manea or whoever it is, that they or, or Clevenger, whoever they put on the mound, I don't look at the Dodgers offense anymore. I'm not looking at Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, and Mookie Betts and saying, you know what, the Dodgers can match up well with the Padres pitching. My frame of mind is the Dodgers bats are going to struggle in the postseason, and that puts the advantage to San Diego, in my opinion, because San Diego starters are better than the Dodgers starters, in my opinion. In a 162-game season, I don't view it the same way. In the postseason, I just I view pitching a lot different. As far as Dave Roberts is concerned, he will be back. Um, Dave Roberts is now turning into, and I'll say it again because I mentioned it earlier, he's turning into the modern-day Bobby Cox. But he has the one world championship already in 2020. Um, in the COVID year, he got his ring. But the Dodgers are doing what the Braves did all those years, putting a great 162-game team out there, winning the division, winning the division handily, getting the postseason, and not bringing the title home. Um, Again, I mean, uh, I already mentioned to you guys about the 2008 Phillies, you know, being from, uh, you know, living down here in Tampa Bay and being a Rays fan. That hurt. I look at that Braves team. I mentioned Bobby Cox. I grew up in Cleveland, and I got to mention the 95 Braves as a World Series winning team. So that hurts. But you get my drift. Uh, Dave Roberts is turning into Bobby Cox, who held his job for a long time. Um, but he, Bobby Cox and Andrew Friedman are going to have to take a title. They're going to have to win another one to validate this uh, uh, Dodgers uh, uh, dynasty, if you can call it that, the way the Dodgers have dominated that AL or the NL West. But he'll, he'll be safe for another year or two. Um, but then, you know, then Andrew Friedman is going to have a decision to make. Oscar just hit a home run for the Phillies to make it eight to five. Uh, I, I agree with you a hundred percent in that regard, uh, Steve. The, the, another thing is the Dodgers don't change managers very quickly. I mean, they're not a team that sometimes they'll, they'll go forever without changing a manager. But let me ask you this, a comparison between the Braves last year and the moves they made just before at, at the trading deadline. And the same yeah. thing that you just mentioned with the Padres, the trade that they made just before the trading deadline and how they put all the chips on the table. Your thoughts about that, what teams did not do anything to improve at that point, and the two teams that did almost everything. Yeah. here's The, the thing about the Braves last year is they got lucky, plain and simple, 100% lucky. When you pick up a guy that's struggling as bad as Jorge Soler was all year and he dominates the postseason the way he does, they picked up Rosario from Cleveland, who was on the injured list at the time, couldn't play for a couple weeks, and had struggled mightily all year in Cleveland, and he has a great postseason. Now, right. they did pick up Duvall. There's no, you, you can't say anything about Duvall. Duvall was leading the National League and runs batted in. He was a middle-of-the-order bat. That's the type of player you pick up with expectations, and he filled them. Okay. San Diego this year, as opposed to what the um, – Braves, let's move over to San Diego. Um, they went out and picked up the, the top, probably the top three available bats in Brandon Drury, Josh Bell, and Juan Soto. And, oh, by the way, they picked up the best reliever available in Josh Hader. Correct. So there's a big difference between putting your, putting your chips on the table. Atlanta had to survive. Remember, they had Ozuna was injured. 
Acuna Jr. was in was injured. Um, they had another outfield. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was also injured. They were running out an outfield out there of no names. They were in desperation mode, and they went out there and picked up whatever they could to try to fill the holes caused by those injuries at the time. And the fact that those guys did what they did in the postseason is, um, besides Duvall, I, I got to make sure I, we, we call Duvall what he is. He was, he was very good when they got him and very good in the postseason. San Diego, the expectations are that Dodo, Bell, and Drury, and Hayter are going to take this team to the finish line. That's the expectation. Uh, there was no survival mode involved in San Diego making those moves. Uh, you know, there's other teams that made moves that just it kind of backfired because of injury. I mean, Andrew Benintendi was a great pickup for New York, but he got hurt. Right. So uh, Frankie Montaz was a great pickup for New York, and he got hurt. Now, Montaz is back. Uh, for the ALCS, and he could still play a huge role. Harrison Bader is very similar to what the Braves did last year. They picked up Bader injured. I don't believe he even played a game for New York in the regular season. And he's here in the postseason now to take the Yankees to the finish line. That's the X of Harrison Bader to play great defense, add a little bit of power to that lineup. Um, that was the expectation. So the Yankees made some nice moves. Um, you know, so – when you make moves at the deadline, what I'm saying is a lot of it is luck, but the purpose of behind it, San Diego went all in, and you could see what they want to do this year. And today, if you look at the line score of Drury, Soto, and uh, and Bell, I think they've driven in five of the runs today, and they've got like seven hits or something crazy like that. But um, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, finish to this one, guys. Well, they will certainly win in all money-wise, no question about that. They're going to spend a lot more next year. By the way, uh, I did see that today that what Tatis it was operated again now on that wrist. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll go back to that. But Roger, you're up. Well, no, go ahead uh, talk about that because uh, I I agree with you and and I mean the money that they uh, that San Diego is spending. Of course, the Phillies spent a lot of money too, and uh, I think the Castellanos at least for this year. Uh, was a mistake, but who's to say he doesn't come back next year uh, because he's got a long-term contract and have a great year. I mean, you know, we've seen stranger things happen, um, but, uh, you know, when we were talking to Roy, Steve, the uh, he wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies uh, get and to the World Series and win it. What do you think? Yeah, anytime you're in the finals four, like, the you know, the Phillies that could easily get there, but let me say something about free agency, and I've been consistent with this uh, my whole baseball life with trades and free agency as well. You could sign a guy like Castellanos, and he can have a, a horrible season. If he does what you want him to do in the postseason, he's making every dollar of that contract in the postseason That's true. for you. It goes for trades, too, and the one trade I always kind of use is when the Cleveland uh, Indians at the time traded uh, – uh, what's his name, uh, Brian Giles to the Pirates for Ricardo Rincon. Um, that was a horrible trade. Uh, but Cleveland was looking for a left-handed reliever to get through the playoffs, and they decided to trade you know, trade for Rincon. That didn't work out. Brian Giles went on to have a great career, so the trade looks bad. But if you were a Cleveland fan at the time, if Rincon comes in and shuts down everybody in the postseason, you win a ring, Giles could have a Hall of Fame career, and you're not looking at it the same way. So in Philadelphia, you look at what you picked up in the offseason with Schwarber and, and Castellanos, and 
if if the, if if Schwarber and Castellanos, if they can go out there and just blister the ball in the playoffs and and lead Philadelphia to World Series, the rest of that contract is not really going to be talked about whether it was worth it or not. That's my opinion, at least. You know, when I look at guys, you know, a one a, a, this year. Let's take a look at a couple guys this year. Um, Max Scherzer is making forty-four million dollars a year. He's not there to get the Mets to a wild card, you know. So he had a chance to really make that money at the, at the end of the season against Atlanta, when all the Mets needed was one win, basically, to take that division. And he got he had a very bad start. Then they get into the wild card round. He has a chance to really, you know, put the put the Mets out in front, and he lays another egg. You got $44 million. I don't care what he did in the regular season. You, you're paying for those two performances, and he let you down this year. Uh, Justin Verlander had a great year. He's probably going to win the Cy Young, but he had he gave up six runs in that first outing um, in the postseason against Seattle. And starting, uh, and starting tonight. And he's starting tonight. And if you could probably follow what I'm saying. Justin Verlander's job at $25 million a year isn't to win the Cy Young in the 2022 regular season. His job is to take those playoff games, those big games, and be there. Conversely, take a look at Garrett Cole and what he does, what he did in the postseason when New York, you know, their their bullpen's kind of down, they're kind of beat up. They needed a win. He goes out there, goes seven-some innings, um, and shuts Cleveland down and gets that to a game five. That's why you pay a guy like Garrett Cole uh, the big dollars, and Garrett Cole was available out of the bullpen in game five a day later, a la Randy Johnston, I think, in 2001, who came out and pitched. Hey, he said he would work the two batters. He worked the two batters, he said. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I like that. That's where I, I say, you know what, in baseball, this is where a guy, you know, when you look at contracts and trades, that's where the postseason really defines. And that's why I always tell you guys, like I said earlier, you know, it's about the moments in the postseason. They, they live forever. Well, Steve, let me ask this as a comparison. I like to make comparisons between uh, different events that happened and certainly the playoffs here. When uh, Jeff Torborg was fired as manager of the uh, Miami Marlins and uh, Trader Jack came in and took over, uh, they were mm-hmm. in desperate shape, just like the Philadelphia Phillies were. And I think there's mm-hmm. a great comparison between what happened with the Marlins that year and what's happening with Robbie Thompson and the Phillies in 2022. Your thoughts? No, I, I absolutely agree. We talked earlier this year, and I said that I, I'm not the guy that usually blames a manager. Um, I had mentioned to you guys San Diego last year. I, I, I watched them play, and they just didn't have what I thought they needed. There was something missing, and they brought Bob Melvin in, and I was mentioning – that was the perfect hire. Um, in Philadelphia, I didn't want to blame Joe Girardi. I never want to blame a manager. But when you watch Philadelphia, there was something disjointed about them. And I said it at the same time about La Russa and the White Sox. Something was disjointed in the organization, whether it was communication with the players or in, it may be some in-game strategy, but there was just something that wasn't connecting between the manager, who's also – I'll include the whole coaching staff and the rest of the team. Um, whatever it is, if the demeanor changed and the players, you know, said, wow, they fired the manager, we can't let, you know, Robbie down, we're going to have to really come to the park every day, maybe the players got a wake-up call and they, they didn't want to see another guy get run out. 
maybe Girardi was just too much of an abrasive personality for them and they, they were feeling restricted. I'm just spitballing ideas here. But right. Sometimes I'd like to see I'd that. like to see a, a real nice interview with Joe now. Not that he probably would address uh all the all the situations because uh, Joe's not one that's ever going to knock anybody. You know, he's not going to come out and say, "Well, this is still getting paid." But I'd like too. to see somebody inter- I'd like to see somebody interview him now and talk yeah. about what his feelings were the first half of the Philadelphia Phillies season. Yeah, I really don't ever like to blame a manager for what goes on on the field because uh, there, there's a lot of there's 26 guys on a roster. Those guys. Hey, Joe's my game. guy. I I I was one of the I was one yeah. of the guys. Roger, I'll tell you. I, 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 I thought it was too. the greatest. I thought it was the greatest managerial selection of the year. I can't, I couldn't believe that he went south on us. Yeah, it, it happens. You know, it's, you know, it happens. It's just one of those things. And you know, it, there's no malice against Joe Girardi. There's nobody. I don't think anybody on this call is saying that Joe Girardi can't manage. It just wasn't a good fit between what he was managing in Philadelphia and him, for whatever reason. And that, Roger, that does happen. Go ahead, Steve. Finish. I went to, no, oh, I'm, I'm Go ahead. Okay. Here, I've, I've thought about this a lot, and I've never uh, mentioned it. Um, I, I was a, a, a big Joe Girardi fan. I was very happy. They, I thought that was the, uh, the great choice. You know, as you know, I was not a, a Kapler fan at all. Never was, mm-hmm. never will be, ever. And uh, and a Clentac, they destroy and Andy McPhail, they put the Phillies five years back with that operation, and sure. and Dave and Dombrowski's really turning it around. But here is the experience uh, I'm, uh, that I'm going to mention at the Philadelphia Sports Writers Banquet, and this was um, uh, before COVID. Uh, that February, uh, Joe was there, and I was the presenter of the most. Um, the uh, uh, the um, uh, what was it the uh, most courageous award, and it was a young man uh, who uh, had lost his legs, uh, suffered some uh, brain damage uh, in uh, in the military uh, overseas, and uh, I uh, went up to Joe, and this was at uh, the uh, the social. Uh, hour before Don's been there many times he knows what I'm talking about and I went up to Joe and we did get the picture taken uh, with uh, Kevin McCluskey but I got to tell you it wasn't that Joe was a warm person to go over and talk to him and you know about this now this is going to be the biggest honoree of the whole banquet it ends the banquet, the spotlights on them and everything else. It was on uh, TV at 11 o'clock in the news. But I just sensed something that night that I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it's Joe's, just his demeanor, but I would have thought uh, as new manager of the Phillies that he would have been uh, very warm and uh, come over and really want to talk to him. He was not gregarious, like that at gregarious, all. Gregarious. And gregarious. Exactly. And he was not. And that's that's the only thing that I remember in a personal uh, nature uh, about Joe's personality. So, 
you know, it may be that he's one way with the, when the lights are on, and it may be he's one of those people that's different when the lights are off. I don't know, Steve. That's my. That's all I know. Yeah, it's uh, it's always difficult to to put a you know to put a barometer on what what do we really know about a manager or an individual in any in any walk of life. You know, uh, you know we're all multifaceted people, and uh, you know. I can tell you it was always a it was always kind of a a moment at the winter meetings when they did the manager's picture and Joe would never be there. You know, all mm. the managers were there except Joe, you know, at the banquet and stuff like that. He just did not like to go to the winter meetings. Um, one time that he did go out there, he one one time he did go out to the winter meetings when they were doing the um, um, in, introduction of replay. And all the managers had to come out for the meetings. He came out for that, and then the banquet was on day three, and he flew out. <laughs> you know, so. Wow. Wow. Steve, we're just about out of time, but uh, what do you, what do you pick, look Steve? for? What I was going to say, who do you think is going to win real quickly? You like the Astros, or who do you like? Well, I, I, want, I think it's going to be an East Coast World Series between Philadelphia and New York. Aaron Judge and Bryce Harper will be the key, you know, the headline. Uh, Wheeler versus Cole. That, those will be the storylines. Um, and it'll be a battle of whose bullpen is going to trip up first, the New York bullpen, which is weak, or the Phillies bullpen, which is solid right now. But you're always looking over your shoulder when the Phillies bullpen comes in. Terrific. We'll get back with you in a couple of weeks. Two, I have one two or three question, weeks. Don. You don't think that uh, Houston uh, will will pre- pre- uh, prevail and, and uh, go to the World Series? It, it, it'll be close, but I, I like that Yankees team. Um, I, I like the Yankees pitching staff. Not that I dislike Houston's, but um, I think New York's got another gear now that Mont- if Montas is healthy, that that'll be the big uh, uh, the big swing. You know, when you can get Montas out on the mound and give you innings, and we'll see how he is. But to me, that's the key for New York. You and I well, disagree. I don't think this Yankee team's that good. And, I don't think this New York Yankee team's that good. All right, we'll we'll see. Fellas, we'll get we'll get together again in okay. a couple of weeks. We'll have a lot of fun knocking it around. Stevie, thank you very, very much. Take care, Steve, as always. Right. You're the best. Ciao, guys. Take care. Thank you. Mike Zibzak on the line right now. And, uh, boy, so many things to talk about. Ron Rivera's press conference this week when he got a little – and normally he never gets uh, oh, done. overriled, done. But, he, but he did this week. And, number two, uh, one of the, in my view, one of the weakest owners in pro football, Jim Irsay. He's uh, already coming out now uh, – I guess Mr. Snyder, the one of the owners and one of the ones in the most hot water over this difficulty within the office and the scandal. So uh, let's get Mike in here first of all. Uh, give us your Don, thoughts. Give Darryl, us your please. thoughts about Ron Rivera's uh, comments at the press conference. Daryl, it's Daryl, Don. Daryl. Oh, Daryl Redbetter up. Bombs. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, Daryl. Yeah. That's okay. No problem. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dallas. Let me jump in there because you got one loser in Atlanta and you got one winner with the Falcons. So start with the Braves. Yeah, no doubt the Braves are, uh, you know, uh, defending world champs didn't last too long in the playoffs. Uh, just took on too much. Um, you know, the injury to Soroka, I knew that was going to be problematic. Then the bats went quiet at the in the playoffs. Seen it before in the Bobby Cox era, uh, you know uh, Austin Riley and uh, Andy Swansea going three for thirty-one in the playoffs. You can't do that. 
So um, the, the uh, Braves are built to, to uh, you know, be back there again next year. They just got to find some more pitching. Maybe you don't sign Swanson and go get Jake DeGrom. But, uh, yeah, the Braves certainly uh, brought a lot of excitement to the team of the last of the city over the last year, uh, two years, and uh, defending their title by at least getting back to the playoffs. Uh, so, yeah, hats off to the Braves, and uh, uh, we'll see uh, how the Falcons keep moving on. And, yeah, the Ron Rivera press conference was a little bit much. <laughs> Roger? Yeah. Well, hey, Daryl, you know, the, the other thing is with the Braves out, uh, your daughter is not going to get as much uh, time in Atlanta to see you and your your wife. Yeah, she was she was here. Uh, she would have been here for the World Series, and uh, but yeah, she's back in Augusta, getting uh, you know going to sleep early and waking up for her five minutes <laughs> uh, shift, anchoring in the morning the morning news over there at Fox Station, Fox Fifty Four in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, that's great. Well, I wanted to get to the Falcons because Don and I were talking about it the other day. Uh, big win for the Falcons, three and three. Uh, and they're, uh, including me, and I, I want your opinion, a number of people now think that the uh, the Falcons may have turned the corner. And I'm not going to say that they're going to be, uh, you know, 11 and, and 6 or anything like that, but I do think they're going to be over 500, and I think it's a stepping stone for the team and Arthur Smith. Am I right about that, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so, Roger. Uh, they've done a great job going three and three, and what was supposedly the tough part of the schedule, uh, things kind of eased up here after this Bengals game. Uh, you know, they could be three and four or four and three. Uh, you know, now a lot of the teams that we thought were going to be real tough teams in the NFC, uh, you know, the Rams, the Bucks, and the Packers, they don't look to be that special. So it's going to be a matter of staying in the race and trying to get hot late. And that's going to be a lot of teams in the same boat there trying to do that. Well, we were point underdog against the, against the Bengals this week. And, uh, you know, the Bengals have really struggled. They've been up and down. They, they really haven't played one game yet compared to what they did the last half of last year going into the playoffs. Your thoughts there? Yeah, the Bengals got some issues up front. Uh, they still uh, – or trying to figure, figure that line out for Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, defensively, they're, they uh, they lost D.J. Reader and uh, uh, Logan Wilson's out, so the middle of that defense is a little soft. But uh, you got some safeties back there that can do it, Bon Bell and Jesse Bates, uh, Eli Apple and uh, T.D. Abuzake and uh, Hilton at the corner, so they can cover. Uh, it's just a matter. But that doesn't matter because the Falcons not trying to throw. <laughs> They are really trying to run the ball. They are. Uh, it's going to be a good matchup. And the Falcons are six and zero against the point spread. So the gamblers in Vegas know uh, that uh, you know <laughs> you want to make some money. Bet on the Falcons. Well, well, that's the key. Well, you know, talking about the uh, teams that are are have surprised by lack of performance. Uh, you mentioned the Bucks. We were talking to Roy Cummings about it, Daryl. Isn't this really something about this situation with Brady? I mean, the stuff that's going on uh, with him going to uh, Robert Kraft's uh, wedding on Saturday and all this other stuff, I mean, this is not Tom Brady that we knew from the past at all. 
Yeah, no question that, uh, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, at 45, we haven't seen a lot of 40-year-olds playing football. But, you know, when you get 40, you got milestones. You got friends doing things. You got uh, buddies getting married. And, and so, uh, you know, focusing slowly on football is a 20- to 30-year-old thing. So uh, this is a little bit out of the norm. And, uh, you know, some people felt, uh, you know, he could have just took the jet to the wedding and came right back, uh, that they probably have different rules for him and, and not for everybody else. But I saw, we saw Roger when uh, Tony Gonzalez had his, uh, Mike Smith gave him the whole camp off. He came for like two days and left. Uh, you know, people, those guys out there working hard. And, you know, somebody's not there with them, uh, you know, working. Uh, you know, that that's frowned upon. So even to, you know, a, a Hall of Famer at that point, you know, either you're on the field working with us or you're not. And he was not yeah. a time leaving the team to, to attend to, you know, a personal, not even a serious matter, but, uh, but uh, you know, they um, uh, to go see to the wedding and so forth, that was a little bit uh, – you know, a little bit disrespectful to Coach Bowles and the rest of his staff. You know, yeah, well, I got to feel that. sorry for Todd Bowles because uh, he took over a Jet team that had a chance because he was a pretty good team when he took it over the first year and went to the playoffs. Then it went slowly downhill between the drafts and the talent. It was really a very bad team when he left. He got the second opportunity here with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's coming in with a team that was really – one of the top teams in the National Football League, and he's getting his second chance to coach as a head coach. And now I'm looking at this and I'm saying this is reflecting on the head coach. I mean, if they go down the tubes, because they're still considered to be the best team in their division, if they go down the tubes because of what's happening, it's going to reflect on Todd and his staff. I mean, that make a difference what happens to Brady. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, I'm kind of banking on them. Uh, you know, there's too many veterans down there for them not to pull things together. Uh, you know, after this bumpy start, you probably will see them take on off here, uh, you know, as we get uh, into the second quarter, deep into the second quarter of the season. Uh, and if they don't and they start losing games to the Falcons and, uh, you know, some of these other teams that, uh, you know, haven't been in their league in the last couple of years, then you know that they've fallen back to the pack. And uh, we, we've seen Green Bay, the Rams, uh, fall back to the pack. I mean, the Rams, uh, you know, they they don't look very special right now. The Packers uh, got beat at home by the Jets, you know, with the second-year quarterback that barely knows what he's doing. So, right. uh, you know, some of these teams are, are not as good as we thought they were. Roger? Well, I, I th- yeah, I think with the Rams, I think they uh, they spent a lot of money to get the uh, goal that they got, to get that Super Bowl. But I, they're, they're all – aren't they stressed now too, Daryl, in the future uh, on money? And, and what happens if Stafford uh, uh, can't repeat the uh, performance? But I also want to say I, I remember with Tony Gonzalez – all of those clutch passes in the end zone, in the inside the ten yard line from Matt, as you do in the dome, and I can visual, just picture them going on right now. All those great plays—they were unbelievable. Uh, what a tandem, uh, Matt and uh, Tony together, weren't they? 
Yeah, no doubt. They, uh, he definitely was already on his way to Canton when he got here, but he put in some uh, good time. Uh, you know, definitely uh, helped them uh, uh, get to, uh, you know, some, some championship games, some playoff games. Uh, uh, number one, two times number one seed, the 2012 team went to the NFC championship game. And uh, 2015 was the number one seed team, too. We got bumped off by a hot Packers team. But, yeah, they were uh, phenomenal to watch. And one of the great moves of Thomas Dimitrov's uh, uh, regime was trading a second-round pick for Tony Gonzalez. Absolutely. Darryl our special guest this segment. And, of course, uh, Darryl's been covering things in the Atlanta area for quite some time. Before that, he was in Green Bay himself and knows what the Green Bay picture is all about. But uh, they are. Right now, Mr. Rogers and company are, are certainly struggling. But let's get over a little bit to your college uh, experience as well. Georgia had a couple of tough weeks there. They won, but didn't play as well as they'd like to have. Uh, Ohio State had a very, very big win this weekend. Looked real good. Michigan looked good against Penn State. Some of your thoughts about Georgia and how they line up. Alabama took it on the nose. Yeah, Georgia's uh, Georgia's uh, looking pretty good right now. Uh, coming off of that fifty-five to nothing win uh, over Vanderbilt, uh, but you know certainly Tennessee's coming in a couple weeks. That's gonna that's gonna be a good um, uh, SEC West, but they can't get ahead of themselves because they got the the world's largest cocktail party in between that when they uh, play Florida. So that you never know what's gonna happen in that game. But, yeah, Georgia, uh, uh, they're right on point. And, uh, you know, whoever comes out of the West looks like they're going to have problems with either Georgia or Tennessee. Roger? Were you surprised about uh, Bama losing to Tennessee? Uh, No, I was not. Uh, This is not a good Bama team, not one of the, you know, uh, elite ones where you look at them and go, hey, there there go 22 pros out there. They're down to about 10. (laughs) So they look kind of normal. But, yeah, still a good lot of talent. The the quarterback was hurt. You know, they just weren't humming like humming along. But you knew they were going to fight all the way to the end, uh, and they did that against a Tennessee team that, Josh Heupel has playing um, some highly efficient, high-octane offense. Well, it went right down to the wire, too, Daryl. I mean, as they always do. But uh, what a game it was if you had a chance to watch it. It was really some game. Yeah, no doubt. I was at a wedding for Mark Bradley's daughter, so we didn't get to watch it all, but certainly seen the highlights. Uh, I like the Henson kid out of Dudley High in Greensboro, North Carolina. You know, he's probably the best quarterback to come out of there since Vince Evans. Uh, you know, started at Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, at Tennessee now he's 24, a little bit older. So uh, we'll see what his pro prospects look like. But he's certainly been throwing the ball around up there for the balls uh, up there in the Smoky Mountains. Roger? You know, I, I got to go back to Matt Ryan, Daryl, because uh, the FedEx Air Player of the Week uh, voting for week six is on. Well, no, it just closed. I'm sorry. So we're going to find out who won. But I was looking at Matt's stats uh, for the Colts. 42 of 58 for 389 yards and three TDs. I mean to tell you, I don't know if, if he ever – through that many passes in his career. I have to look that one up, but you probably know 
That had to be a record for him, 58 attempts and 42 completions. Yeah, he had a few 40-attempt uh, games, but nothing nothing up in the 50s. Uh, so, um, you know, with Jonathan Taylor out, Coach Frank just decided to rip it all last week, and it uh, worked out for him. Uh, that's four and two. Big game against Tennessee. Had that ugly win on Thursday night. But he turned it over to Matt, you know, who's been a winner his whole career. And so um, all you got to do for Matt is uh, firm up the interior of his pocket so he can step into his throws. So uh, Coach Wright, you know, no sense of rolling him out and doing all that stuff. He's not – that's not him. But uh, right. they, they protected him. And uh, – they must have got that pocket firm for him to step up into and make his throw. Well, I remember well, when the Phillies are just Alex even the back. series at one-one. They win this game this afternoon. The Padres eight, the Phillies five. So uh, the Phillies and Padres split the two games out there in in uh, San Diego, and they head toward Philly. Some of your thoughts about playoffs? Have you seen much of the playoffs with all your coverage of college and pro football? Yeah, they haven't seen a lot. Followed the Braves and the uh, Yankees and Guardians series. Um, Philly's looking pretty tough right now. Um, the Yankees are uh, looking beatable. You know, just don't know if Houston's cheating again or not. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, they're banging drums and all kind of stuff. We don't know. So, yeah, we'll get caught up to that. But, yeah, I can't watch all of it. I got my hands full with the football team up here. And uh, you know, uh, you know, and trying to keep track of some college football, but yeah, I certainly uh, be ready for the fall classic uh, as they pushed it back. <laughs> it used to be the October. Now it might be playing. We're gonna be in November playing baseball. That's too much. And then Christmas, well, and then spring training. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't, for, don't forget hey, listen, to put the basketball and hockey pieces in. <laughs> I wanted to ask, Don, I wanted to ask, how's your alma mater, Howard? Uh, we're doing good. I'm actually going up to see them this uh, weekend for homecoming. We had a tough game against Harvard last week. We um, It was 41-25. We, we lost to Yale the week before that. So uh, they, we got Delaware State coming in to Stud Green Stadium, William Green Stadium on Saturday. And uh, we'll be trying to get to 500, I believe, on the season. Well, that's good. Daryl, I'm going to agree with you on the Yankee team. I like the Astros, too. We were going, we did a little segment, the last segment, on on the playoffs between the Astros and the Yankees. And uh, I, I just don't think, you know, it's nice to see the home runs they hit, but there's too many times they uh, they strike out and don't put enough people on base. So I think they're going to have a lot of trouble with the Astros. I, I think the Astros are a much better team. Uh, yeah, well, we'll um, we got old Dusty down there, so he certainly knows what he's doing. Uh, we'll we'll see how it plays out here. Roger. Well, the, the uh, I I think that if uh, Howard does uh, get to 500, what a nice uh, homecoming uh, present for uh, everybody there this weekend. I really uh, I think that's uh, that's great. But I just you know you, you hit the nail on the head about Matt the career. I think he's been underappreciated. Uh, over his entire career, uh, and I think that Super Bowl uh, loss where they could have won, we, you know, goes down in infamy, no doubt about it. But it just seemed, and I've said it many times, his performance, and it was the offensive line, the lack of, 
I mean, I, I, you know, I think Alex Mack just retired, didn't he, Daryl? And I remember when the Falcons signed him, that was like a big addition and one of the cogs to uh, help because uh, McClure was there for years, right, at center, and, and but they lacked the interior line strength with Matt. Yeah, they messed it up when they uh, didn't bring back McClure and tried to push it over to Peter Kahn, and uh, that cost them the 14 and 15 seasons, or the 13 and 14 seasons. Then they signed uh, Mac for 16, and that's the year they go to the Super Bowl. So, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, 17, they did a good job of getting back to the playoffs, but then the, um, the draft pick started to not pan out. And uh, we saw the coaching kind of start to dip too when um, when when Kyle Shanahan left. So yeah, Matt. But you know, you just look at the beginning of his career. He took the team to took the team to the playoffs as a uh, as a rookie. Went to the playoffs for his first six years in the league, and then you know after that he had two more playoff trips uh, in sixteen and seventeen. In seventeen, they probably if they can get that ball in the end zone to Julio. Uh, they would have won, but the Eagles won, and then the Eagles went on to beat the Patriots in what should have been a Falcons-Patriots rematch. Yeah, Darrell, I want to thank you very, very much. As always, another great segment from you. Uh, best of luck, and we'll keep uh, keep in touch and as these uh, playoffs continue as we get deeper into the football season. Always like to have your input on the show. Thank you very, very much. You have a wonderful homecoming weekend. Take care, guys. Have a great day. Yankees and Astros are tied right now, 1-1, just to keep everybody up to date. Uh, Their judge just grounded out. So uh, they're at the top of the third inning. New York won. The Astros won. And uh, Rizzo's at the plate. Okay, let's switch over now. We're going to go down to the Baltimore, Washington area. I tried to talk about this a little bit earlier. I jumped Mike, I jumped in a little quicker than I thought it was going to, but we'll get to you now because you've got two things I want to touch on. One, your coach, Ron Rivera, at his press conference. You don't see him go off the off the list too much, but he did this week. And the other one, the Colts owner, Mr. Ursay, who is not one of my favorites to begin with, is now jumping on the bandwagon about the merit of Alstick Slater as one of the owners of the Washington team. So take, let's take the first one first. How about Ron Rivera? Um. Yeah, it's funny though because it's like two back-to-back weeks where Ron's had kind of these. I don't know whether you want to call them bad press conferences or whatever. It all stems from a uh, Washington Post report that came out on Wednesday uh, or Thursday morning. You know, kind of right after we talked that broke right before the game, talking about, again, going over a lot of stuff that we have talked about before, um, the potential of the owners to force a sale, the fact that – Hold on, hold on just a second. Do you have a, do you have a radio on behind you or something? We got, we got a little bit of an override here. Or... No, it's coming in Not off me. the line. I'll get it. Okay, go okay. ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. Like, I, didn't, I, just, I didn't want to have an override on your conversation. Go ahead. Okay, no worries, but, um, you know, none of it is, you know, the, the ESPN report talks about the owners um, saying that, uh, that that they might try and force a sale. Again, those anonymous sources, it talks about the fact that uh, 
Daniel Snyder reportedly was get had dossiers on a lot of the different owners. Um, that Jason Wright wasn't empowered to change the culture of the team. A number of different things came up as a result of that. And one of the big ones was that uh, it was Dan Snyder, not Ron Rivera, who wanted uh, Carson Wentz. And, of course, they went out on Thursday and beat the Bears for their the, – the, the commanders beat the Bears for the second win of the season. I don't know if – Either of you gentlemen watched it, but I'll tell you it was one of the most unwatchable football games I have ever sat through, uh, to the point where Carson Wentz broke his hand and broke his finger bad enough that it needed surgery and it'll keep him out four to six weeks, I believe midway through the third qu- the um, second quarter, and still finished up the rest of the game, uh, and they won. Anyway, Ron was quite upset by the report. He had just gone through the um, settling everything down after the press conference last Monday, and he got a little bit fired up. You know, basically, you know, what do you want from us? Um, bringing Carson was my decision, and so it was a bit of a break from the quorum for Ron last week. I, and I bet you, if Ron had the opportunity to have just all of the press availability that he had last week back, um, my guess would be he would take it. Roger. Well, the so it wasn't Snyder's choice on Wentz. It was Ron Rivera. At least that's what he says. Right, that's Mike? what Ron is saying. Um, number one, uh, I don't believe that Ron would be in a position where Dan Snyder would bring bring in uh, a quarterback. You know, they were pretty much on the same page. The whole entire organization was on the same page as to need to bring in somebody. Um, certainly, Dan Snyder is of the opinion that uh, he, he, bringing in a marquee quarterback will solve a lot of the problems. Uh, I don't think that Ron would make a move like that without letting the owner know. Uh, I just think that that's one of those things where if you're going to trade away a draft pick and sign that sort of player for the amount of money that he would have to be paid – you know, I imagine that the owner would be involved in it. Likewise, I don't think, given the amount of power that Ron has ha- that Ron has within on the football side of the organization, that Dan Snyder could have made a move to get Carson Wentz uh, and traded away those draft picks without Ron being involved in the conversation. Uh, whether or not. Dan had a lot of input in saying, like, I want this guy. I think we should do this. The amount of input that he had, I don't know. But um, really, I think that that was – it was a small part of a much larger story, but I think that that was just um, – I, I think it was made a little bit more of a bigger de- – I think it was made to be a bigger issue than it really was. How about the Ursay thing? Uh, you very seldom you see an owner. I, I mean, listen, I'm the last guy in the world to defend Ursay. I, not one of my favorite owners of anything, but uh, you know, he, he's uh, the merit of ousting Snyder. I, very seldom you see an owner come out on his own to make those kinds of comments, and uh, but he certainly has. He's uh, all over the New York Post today. You know, that was the one that was, uh, I guess, most surprising. We know that. Um, 
Dan Snyder is going to be on the agenda at the latest owners' meeting. Uh, they've made no bones about it. What they're waiting on is the newest, the, the, the newer, the new report that's supposed to come out, which mostly will deal a lot with those financial things that we talked about over the summer. With was Dan Snyder cooking the books and withholding money from the other NFL owners? Now. Ursay's comments follow in line with the report I was just talking about, that he was assembling dossiers on various owners, and Dan was going to kind of burn everything to the ground and salt the earth if they tried to force him out. If there's one owner in the NFL who isn't worried about bad press and whose dirt is pretty much always out in the street and already out in the street, (laughs) it's Mr. Ursay. Like – (laughs) <laughs> There's not much you can say about him that not anybody already knows, right? So that I guess he feels emboldened to be able to say something like that and say, hey, look, we, it's time for him to go. Whether he's one of the anonymous sources, whether he's kind of saying that quiet part out loud because he knows that he can get away with it, or whether it's just another dimmer, say, sort of, shooting from the lip sort of thing that like he you know the fact of the matter is that it this is a problem for the NFL uh, they have a lifetime revenue projection that uh, for performance and you got to look at the fact that the Washington DC market which is a major metropolitan area is massively underperforming right now and Dan Snyder's ownership is a major reason why the market is underperforming. Roger? Well, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I don't agree with much uh, with uh, Jerry Jones, but I'm 100% in agreement with him about uh, Commissioner Goodell with the Compensation Committee. I don't know if you're familiar with that. He was the only owner uh, that voted against negotiating uh, with uh, Goodell for a new contract. I am with him. I wish other owners would take a strong stance. I think the NFL needs to clean house with Goodell and his cronies and uh, and get an image back. I think their image is really bad when it takes as long as it does. Uh, it's, it's under advisement. Every investigation is under review, under advisement. I'm tired of that. And I'm tired of a lot of this stuff with the uh, players and the trouble that they're in. And But as far and the, as on a different subject, Wentz has had one injury problem after another, beginning with that first one uh, on his leg where he would have been the MVP probably of the league that year when the Eagles won the uh, uh, Super Bowl. But the consensus, Mike, is the Eagles would not have won the Super Bowl with him at quarterback. Uh, what, what's your opinion and Don's opinion about Goodell with that situation? Well, I, I mean, as far as Goodell, it, it's hard. He works for the owners. A lot of times I look at him and I said, that's like he's got the worst job in the, on the face of the planet. His job is to be basically the shield in between that the owner, everything else in the NFL. So his job is to take a lot of those bullets. Um, that doesn't excuse some of the decision-making that he has made, um, especially when it comes to his willingness 
uh, to defend and basically to placate Dan Snyder. I mean, the whole entire idea of, well, we're only going to have Beth Wilkinson deliver an oral report and nobody's going to write anything down. How did you not think that people would want to see what it was? How did you not think that this would become a bigger deal and you have, like, no records? I, I just think that was such a short-sighted decision. And we see how this whole thing, as a result, and that's just one example of something that has just snowballed out of control on his watch because of a decision that was basically just entirely botched and mishandled. And I'm not sure why somebody, he himself is a trained lawyer. I just can't get why that decision was made. And we see what it has become, you know, just a constant back and forth, and this investigation begets another investigation. And, you know, there's – look, there are seven different investigations in uh, multiple different jurisdictions going on right into Daniel Snyder. And I think a lot of this just could have been solved after they got the Beth Wilkinson report, made it public, and actually came down and looked like that he had control. And I guess that's the biggest issue that everybody's pointed out. At no point does Roger Goodell really look like he has control over what's going on. It really does look like the inmates all the way around, owners and players alike, are running the asylum. As far well, Mike, as I think, West, huh? I, I think I think one of the things that uh, you look at repeatedly now, certainly I'm in no position to say that I see all the papers around the country, that I listen to all the radio and television around the country, but to me, how you can make these many negative decisions as a commissioner, they, they don't seem to, uh, as a group, challenge anything that he does. And this is just one more of the uh, – I mean, the only person I know that really challenges his decisions is Phil Musick in the New York Post. He challenges his people that represent him for the halftime show in the Super Bowl. He represents them for what he does with the, the, the players that uh, he doesn't suspend or aren't suspended or aren't banished from the league. I mean, he's the only one that actually takes any kind of direct line drive hits on the commissioner. I don't know anybody else that does. Maybe you do. Pretty sure that he's gotten a lot of passes, but I think that, and I don't. I think the reason why nobody's taking aim at him is because so many people, I think, regard him as just a mouthpiece and a bit of a joke. Like, he's not, you know, Paul Tagliabue. Not respected. Yeah, he's not respected. Paul Tagliabue, he ain't. You know, you can look at an <laughs> owner like Adam Silver, who you might not love all the decisions that he makes, but he makes decisions. And he's a guy who seems to have a fair amount of respect, a decent amount of control over the constituents that make up the NBA um, as a league, right? And that's why I wasn't surprised, what was it, a couple of years ago when we heard the idea that the NFL may have approached Adam Silver to say, do you want this job, which he turned down and said, you know, I like the one that I got. Um, I do believe in, in, within a few years we're going to see a – quietly negotiated exit for Roger Goodell, and they're going to go in a different direction. How much more money can they pay him? And, Mike, how much more can they pay him? $50-some million a year? 
I mean, it's, it's got to be – it's good money if you can make it. It's one of those ones where I'm like, I must have done something wrong in my past life. <laughs> Roger, you're up. Uh, well, see, the uh, I just think it's so much over many years with this guy and uh, and his press conferences, the state of the league went at the Super Bowls. And, uh, you know, when DeMora Smith took over the Players Association, uh, I think uh, things in many ways went south. He's more of a political guy. Gene Upshaw was a football guy. And, and I know times change. There, I mean, there's no doubt about it. And you're not going to go get Boo or uh, Roselle back or Burt Bell or anything like that that would just put their uh, fist down. But uh, you're right. He's a mouthpiece. Uh, but I think also his staff, uh, and starting with John Runyon, uh, who's in charge of the discipline, I mean, he's a former congressman. He's a politician. He was a great NFL player. But is, that a, is the nepotism an issue here when his son is the starting uh, uh, right guard for the Green Bay Packers? I like, I like your opinion, both of you and Frank's opinion about that. I don't think, I mean, I know that there's the whole entire thing about the nepotism with the punishment for Mike Evans when Evans was about to play the Green Bay Packers. But, you know, if that's John Runyon's idea of nepotism, then he's doing a really bad job at it. I mean, if you want to see nepotism, Roger, Look up at the University of Iowa, where um, LaFrent still has that job, despite the fact that Iowa hasn't scored a single touchdown in about nine years. Now, that's nepotism. I mean, if you're going to do something, at least have the, 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 you know, the audacity to do it, do it well, like really promote somebody who is absolutely and totally incompetent, doesn't deserve their job simply because they're your kid. Frank, any comment? No, I guess uh, Frank's yeah, tied uh, up. Uh, the uh, thing with uh, Runyon is uh, this last week he even, uh, he even charged his, uh, his son or fined his son $5,000 for inappropriate conduct. Um, I, I don't think this, this is way over my head as far as the political end of it. I don't understand it. I don't wonder why anybody would pay that much money to one single person. You know, there's, there's a third world country that can't, world, world country that can't uh, uh, survive on that kind of money. They would have a, they'd have a, a, a ball every day if they had that kind of money. And I don't think he's worth the, the money. I don't think the commissioner is, is uh, uh, very helpful to the, the league. He's always sucked up to the owners. Uh, which pay his, his salary. That's why he gets so much. But he has never really stuck up for the players. No, I mean, you know, I as, as Mike said before, and Roger Chill, I mean, you know, he, he works for the owners. I mean, I understand all that. But there certainly are times, you know, when you have to say, wait a minute, this is absolutely wrong. And we have to make a decision. And one of the things that you're talking about right now, Mike, is that, you know, you have to release this information. You can't just say, "Well, it was written up in a book, and we're not gonna we're not gonna let anybody know what the book has to say." You can't do that. 
I love the fact that, you know, it was almost a year before they even acknowledged that they had actually suspended Dan Snyder for a time period last, last year. That came out in Congress when Roger Goodell testified that there was a negotiation for Dan Snyder to step away from the team for a period of time. He couldn't even say that he was suspended from the league. And in this press release where that the Redskins just released where it said, uh, hey, you know, Dan, um, although Dan was required to step away from the team for a certain period of time, that time has expired. It's been a year since the Beth Wilkinson thing came out, and we're just now getting around to acknowledging that one of the recommendations that she made, because she never told us the complete complexity of all of them, one of the recommendations that was made was that the man be suspended. And when that first came out, oh, no, he hasn't been suspended. He voluntarily stepped down. (laughs) So, I mean, come on. Come on. Like, seriously, how do you so consistently mess – this stuff up. You, you, you're messing up the easy ones. Well, Mike, we'll get to MLS next week because uh, we're just out of time in this segment. But thank you very, very much as always. Uh, a lot of information this week. I'll tell you, things are happening all around in all sports. And uh, thanks a lot. We'll get to you next week. All right. Have so a great week, Mike. Sports in this area is I'm never at a loss for things to talk about. That's true. You got that right. No, not in Washington. Thank you very much. And not in Baltimore because uh, uh, <laughs> the Ravens, uh, well, I'll just ask Doug Hamilton, our resident PGA pro that joins us week in and week out and uh, covers those Ravens with a with a very thick blanket. Holy smokes, what is Mr. Harbaugh doing down there? Yeah, rough uh, rough game. If, uh, if, you love, if you love your Ravens, and I do. Um, you know, this is, um, becoming a pattern of behavior, um, you know, getting out to double digit leads and, uh, somehow finding a way to, to lose that. Um, you know, they late in that game, it was just, uh, Lamar, you know, it's the same sword that you live by that you die by, you know, he, uh, he makes some really exciting plays out of nothing and, uh, you just scratch your head and, and, um, wonder how he does it and then you know he gets that same opportunity and and uh, tries to make the play and just throws a really bad interception and then um you know comes back and you know fumbles so it's uh you know it was heartbreaking to uh to watch i mean i you know i don't know that anybody thought uh, at the start of the season that you know the the new york football giants would be five and one and and uh would have just beaten you know the ravens but you know, there's a lot of parity in the NFL this year. I don't necessarily think that there's any one team that's completely separated themselves from the pack uh, thus far. But um, yeah, I mean, it's I mean the the Ravens. I think they signed Deshaun Jackson uh, today or yesterday, so I I have a feeling that they think they need. He's a on the he's on taxi squad. He's on the taxi squad. Yeah. Well, they they signed. Uh, I think the Arizona Cardinals cut a guy that was a a second or third rounder they signed to their practice squad. Andy, Andy Isabella, I think his name was or something, um, you know, but their receiving core is, is uh, slightly better than dreadful. Um, you know, Bateman's been out and uh, Devin Duvernay has been their top 
Tom Whiteout, which he's a fabulous, you know, kick and punt returner, and, and he's a, you know, kind of gadget guy with, you know, the jet sweep and, and some of these short passes, but um, they've struggled. You know, anybody other than Mark Andrews um, has struggled to, you know, be a presence. Their, their run game, um, I mean, we have Kenyon Drake in there who actually played pretty well, um, but they've dabbled with him and Mike Davis, and then obviously last year with Latavius Murray and, and some of these, you know, uh, guys that have been past their prime. So, um, you know, uh, Ronnie Stanley's been on a pitch count, and uh, so has Dobbins, and it's unfortunate. But the, you know what? The, the division itself is, is compacted. The Steelers aren't really that good of a football team, and they just had a nice win over Tampa. But uh, the Ravens play Cleveland this week, so this is another opportunity for us to, to get a win in the division uh, if we can somehow figure out how to play four quarters. And, um, you know, we beat the Bengals. So, I mean, it's it's definitely up for grabs. Um, still early in the season, but let's let's give Harbaugh. I mean, he he has uh, you know parted from from some of his ways of, of river riverboat gambling here with going for two points and you know the fourth down conversions and those sorts of things. So I think he's starting to you know hear some of the pressure from let's just take the points and, and forget about some of these analytics guys. So um, you know again, it's it's fairly early in the season, so let's let's let this work itself out. Mr. Verlander, the uh, Houston Astros are tied 1-1 uh, right mm-hmm. now with the New York Yankees, so we'll keep an eye on that one. Roger, you're up. Yeah, Florida's ahead of the Flyers in the second uh, period with 6-14 remaining, 2-1. to one. Doug, uh, you mentioned that the uh, Ravens uh, uh, beat the, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh you know, Tom Brady talked a couple of weeks ago about there's a lot of bad football in the NFL, okay, <laughs> including the yeah. Tampa Bay Bucks, but he didn't say that. And right. also, and Tom Brady, okay, right. uh, going to a, we talked about it earlier, I'd like to have your opinion, Tom Brady mm-hmm. leaving to go to Robert Kraft's uh, uh, wedding, yeah. okay, and Belichick yeah, was... stayed back. He didn't go. What do you mm-hmm. think? Yeah, that was a big topic of uh, discussion on, uh, was it yesterday morning maybe? They were talking about it with uh, uh, the Get Up show or, or whatever that, that comes on ESPN. Um, you know, Greeny and and those guys were talking about, you know, how, you know, the rules I think are a little different for Tom Brady, and I think it's, it's um, becoming a problem for their team with regard to, you know, obviously he's, widely considered as the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, his body of work speaks for itself in championships and, and, you know, accolades and awards. But, you know, if you're, if you're going to be the leader that he's going to, you know, miss what he missed 11, day, 11 days of practice time going through, I mean, he's got some personal issues. We we're well aware of that. Um, you know, in addition to this uh, latest um, jaunt, if you will, you know, leaving the team to, to go to that wedding. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, it sets a bad example, um, you know, I think for his team and, and probably, you know, places his, his head football coach and some different personnel in, in, in difficult situations, knowing that this was something that, you know, was going to happen, did happen. Um, I think it's a bad optic, you know, uh, for the team to uh, have this guy. And e- even in the midst of them, you know, struggling to regain some, some version of form, you know, in terms of winning on the field, 
Um, obviously, his his off the field has has provided you know a distraction to say the least. Uh, so I I think it was I think it was a bad a bad move. You're pretty much uh, amplifying what some of us talked about through the last hour. Or so uh, and especially uh, the first half our uh, our reporter from Tampa, the fact that he then really was very, very demonstrative of his criticism of the offensive line. Now, you were watching the Ravy game. You probably didn't mm-hmm. see the, the Tampa game. But uh, mm-hmm. he brought the offensive line in, and he was really going at it. And yeah. as our fellow down in Tampa said, Roy Cummings, you know, maybe one of those offensive linemen should have stood up and said, hey, if you were here yesterday for practice or if you were there, you know, during right. those seven days or eight days or ten days, you decided to go on a personal leave. Maybe we right. wouldn't be in this situation, you know. But uh, yeah, nobody, it's, it's hard. It's always hard to criticize. I mean, I guess I was always taught that if you're going to look into someone else's yard, you should make sure yours is clean before you do that. Um, you know, I think his his on the field play, um, you know, hasn't provided a you know uh, set of, of lightning to set the world on fire. Um, I mean, he has you know, some of the best weapons in football and, you know, Evans and, and Godwin and, and some of those receivers. Um, you know, I think we knew that the offensive line was going to be a problem way back in, in training camp uh, when, you know, one of them went down and, and some there was another guy that retired and I think there's center Jensen, I think. And, I mean, just, you know, they've had their issues. I mean, look, every NFL football team, you know, look at the Ravens last year with all their injuries. I mean, it's it's a collision sport. It's, it's, uh, it's dangerous. There's a lot of things that happen from week to week. Um, it's a long season. You have a lot of these guys that are, you know, mid to late thirties that, you know, or even in Tom Brady's case, mid, mid to late forties. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, I, I certainly can't see myself playing 17 NFL football games at 48 right now. So, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Um, you know, I think that, one of the best ways to to handle, you know, these things is is behind closed doors or off off the stage, shall we say, when it comes to figuring out, you know, what the problems are and how to fix them um, and keeping them out of the eye of the public. So, to your point, Don, you see Tom Brady come down the line there and on the bench and and kind of, you know, very demonstrative as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, pointing out some different things to his offensive linemen and. Um, you know that's that's a tough spot to be in. You know if you're a 25 or 30 year old offensive lineman listening to the, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time berate you because you you know missed a block or you know one of the whatever schemes was messed up. You know so yeah, I mean it's they, they have some issues um, for sure. And uh, you know Todd Todd Bowles I think is in a tight spot there with trying to get those cleaned up. I think that probably say that if if Bruce Arians was still the head football coach maybe none of this would be happening. Um, you know, but that's that's a topic of discussion I think we could talk about for sure. Roger? Well, the the other thing was that, that Belichick didn't go to the wedding. I mean, and that's his boss, Robert Grant. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I just uh, – there's got to be more to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I asked Roy if he thinks that uh, Brady's uh, sorry that uh, he came back. Uh, I don't Nobody knows. Okay. Uh, no. uh, you know, he, his life is football, but he, mm-hmm. he may never get over it. And uh, he may get take, taken out on a gurney 
mm-hmm. and who knows? That's what uh, his wife, that's what Giselle was sure. afraid of. And, uh, you know, when you're 45, 46, 48, whatever the case might be, I don't care who you are. You don't have the bone uh, strength. Mm -hmm. We don't have anything like you do when you're in your 30s or 30s. Well, I mean, look, I think that Tom Brady, from an evaluation standpoint, I mean, we've all seen athletes past their prime. I think if you look at, you know, Peyton Manning, the last year he played, he just he didn't have the zip on his fastball, you know. Uh, you know there were there's there have been plenty of guys over the course of time that that tried to play with with other teams that just weren't as successful because they were, you know, um, past their prime. And, but he, did, and, but he um, did. But Peyton did win that Super Bowl that he wanted, and that was it. Well, this is true. I mean, he obviously had a very good defense, and there were some other parts around him. He did what he had to do to win. But I'm just saying, if you watched him. Week in and week out, he he threw some pretty wobbly passes and and uh, oh, you know, like I, agree. I said, the, I, I agree the zip, the yeah. zip wasn't there. I mean, I think I think Tom Brady can still play at this level, um, you know, because of the preparation that he does, not just watching film, but how he takes care of his body and all the, you know, many staffers, if you will, that he's employed to, you know, make sure that he has the best of everything, whether it's diet or, you know, different physical, you know, things that that they go through. Um, I do think that the off field, um, I mean, that, that must have been a hell of a conversation between him and, and his wife with regard to retiring and then coming back. And obviously, we know where we are with, you know, the, them butting heads, um, you know, because she doesn't obviously want to see him get hurt. And now we've hired lawyers and we're doing all this different stuff. I mean, so, um, you know, that's that's got to be a problem, you know, for him. And, and um, you know, as hard as he works, I, I just you know, when you don't have the support of your family and things trying to do what you really want to do, that's just a tight spot to be in. And um, I think it's obviously showing on the field that, you know, he's not as accurate as he was. Um, you know, the game has obviously, you know, sped up to some degree. He doesn't have the protection he needs. He's not mobile. He can't get out of the pocket. Um, you know, so it's, a again, it's a bad look, um, you know, for that team. So, Well, you know, I look at it, it's, it's several ahead, quarterbacks. I, I look at several quarterbacks in recent years that, uh, you know, were of higher age, not like him, uh, that mm-hmm. walked away, <clears throat> excuse me, and realized that that was it, okay? Drew Brees, okay? Mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger last, after last year. But the guy yeah. that I rep- – and, and what happened is I was in a conversation last night at a middle school football game with one of the sheriff's deputies. And we were talking about uh, players, you know, in college, NFL, et cetera. And the guy I I brought up who I really had the utmost respect for and had a great career was Philip Rivers, who knew what he wanted to do when he left Mm -hmm. the NFL. And that was to coach the high school team. And he's got nine kids. He's family oriented. He just he knew exactly what he wanted to do, and he's still involved in football. And he's not making like what was what is Brady going to make when he goes to Fox? Uh, what fifty million or, or something, something like yeah. that a year? You, really, you can't tell because they adjust the salary based on what the you know what this uh, uh, he, he gives back or. Yeah, you know what the 
all of them give back a certain amount of money when they're up against the the cap, you know. So it, you never really know how much everybody's getting. No, no, no. I mean from Fox, Don. When he goes to Fox, he's oh, making he like fifty Fox. million a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he and he's still involved in football, just like Troy Aikman was, just like right. all, mm-hmm. Romo. Uh, you know, Romo who's like ridiculous. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, his longevity might be short term now, you know, with you think McKay, you think McKay may think uh, maybe I should have taken that money for, for <laughs> during the off season last year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and uh, not had all these uh, other issues, but I'll tell right. you, when I look at Philip Rivers, how much do you think a high school coach at a Catholic <laughs> school down in, uh, down in Mississippi, is making. He'd be lucky if he makes a hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. I'm lucky if he makes ten. That's <laughs> what. I, well, listen. I know when when Greg Luzinski was coaching uh, uh, baseball and football at Holy Cross in Delran, you know when uh, Ryan was playing, he he turned his money back to the uh, school, so he didn't make anything. Mm-hmm. He just did it right. for the love of the sport. And uh, but you know he's Brady's made enough money. And that's what Philip. Why I really respect Philip Rivers. He made his money. He had good investments. He's got a family. Hey, listen, nine raising nine kids is not easy. I mean, <laughs> I raised three. Don raised three, and uh, you know that was not easy. Okay, but nine? Are you kidding me? Oh, just right. think what that house is. You know. That's, that's but you know, you get my point, you, Doug. You get sure. my point. Well, look, I mean, it's it's always a tough decision uh, from an athlete's perspective because you have, you know, <clears throat> teams and management that, you know, they, they want to move on from different players because they feel like, you know, they don't have anything left. And you, know, you have athletes, you know, as you mentioned, Drew Brees is a great example. I mean, Drew Brees could have kept playing football, but I think he realized that after he got hurt that last time that, you know, the the sun was setting based on his career and, you know, you, you want to walk away from the game with all of your parts intact. And, um, you know, whether you can go into broadcasting or, you know, you've, you've made enough money that you can, you know, ride off into the sunset or whatever. I mean, you, you've seen it many times where athletes, you know, think they have one more year or, or, or one more season yeah. or whatever, and it just doesn't work out that way. I mean, we've all at some point in our life gotten ourselves in trouble, you know, whether it's, you know, one more beer or, you know, whatever that, You've, you've crossed your, your threshold, you know, when it comes to making the right decision. Um, well, Doug, the one thing with Breeze was it wasn't just one injury. He had, a, over the last three years, he had a series of shoulder injuries. And yeah. All, so right. I, I, think you're, I think you're right on target. I think he said, I've had enough of this. Right, right. Well, plus two, I mean, you got to think, you know, when you're 35, 40 years old, you look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers who's getting, you know, up there in age. Do you want to go through the off-season training and regimen and, and clean-up surgeries and, and all these different things to get yourself ready to play another year? And you know you're going to have to work even harder because you're older and, and you can't right. do what you used to do. Um, you know, that, that's why you, know, you see all these people when they, you know, I want to lose weight. Okay, well, you know, if I told you what, what you had to do to lose weight and how many miles you had to run or, or how many weights you had to lift, <laughs> you'd look at me and say, I don't think I want to do that. Right. Right. So that that decision is different from 25 to 35 to 45 to, you know, whatever. I mean, we all make these modifications. I mean, I'm still, you know, going to the gym and trying to stay in shape, but I can't do, you know, what I did 
hell, 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Five years ago. I mean, it gets harder. And you Neither can I. Yourself. Yeah. Well, sure. well, I think the point well, that both of you made that we talked about earlier on in this, uh, this particular segment, uh, the weakness of the NFL across the board. Uh, you know, not only did uh, or most of the national uh, news outlets talking about the fact that, uh, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong with the National Football League this year? That uh, You know, there, there just isn't uh, the quality of play that you're accustomed to seeing anywhere. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you look at the Eagles, they're about the only team that really has, through five games, played very consistently and won. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... you know, I, I think one of the things is uh, a number of years ago, uh, Steve Ryan, uh, who's executive VP of the Cardinals, uh, but um, I dealt with in business development, and Steve played for Spurrier at Duke and uh, was very astute and um, went to Malvern Prep and Don and, uh, and then Duke. And uh, he was, he was, when I were together, I don't know if we were, I think we were having lunch, and he was explaining to me what the NFL does when sur- on, uh, doing uh, surveys on youth football, you know, the way they promote it so much and even flag football, you've seen the commercials. And sure, every that's Friday night flights. That's right. And all that stuff. Well, and what they were concerned about was that, and we've heard about it because of parents and, and uh, you know, mothers, fathers being upset about injuries and head injuries. Mm-hmm. They were concerned about the number of, or the declining number of playing youth football. Well, yes. if that was 10, 15 years ago, now fast forward, you're now later where that declining number is now maybe surfacing. Okay. Well, I think you're, you know? I think you're spot on, Roger. I think you're spot on because I think you're seeing a lot of these kids getting away from tackle football and they're playing flag football so mm-hmm. that they don't get, get hurt. But I think you can, you can go back to, I mean, look at look at all the rules that, that surround, you know, you can't hit a guy here, you can't hit a guy there, you, you know, the quarterbacks are, are overly protected. You go back to training camps, you can only wear pads and hit people certain amounts of time. Everybody's worried about injuries. And mm-hmm. you've, you've taken, you, you know, it's like, you, you know, you can't gamble with scared money because you're going to lose, right? So it's the same thing. I mean, you, you see these guys and they, they, you know, you can't hit anybody. You can't work on it in practice. You don't work on the fundamentals of tackling. People get hurt. Um, you know, all these different things that surround the injuries that people are obviously worried about, you know, head trauma and all these different, different games in it than it was, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the whole, the entire week last week was really spent on roughing the quarterback because of what mm-hmm. happened with, with, with Brady, with, uh, you know, that was just a rollover, yeah. had nothing to do with being a roughing the quarterback. And, uh, you know, you want to get outside sources to make a ruling on whether it was roughing or whether it wasn't a roughing. I mean, uh, the whole, whole week, that's all they talked about. It. You know, well, probably defenders, head injuries. Defenders can't play defense. I mean, you look at you look no. at the corners and safeties. They can't hit anybody. They can't come over the middle and hit anybody. Pass interference calls are, are ridiculous because, you know, I mean, you know, the illegal touching five, you know, five yards from, I mean, it, it's it's a different game. I mean, it's like everyone's scared to get hurt. And, 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 and no one wants to tackle anybody. I mean, that's the biggest thing you can talk about is missed tackles. You know, um, it, it's just it's just a completely different game because they're so centric on injury. 
that everyone's afraid to get hurt. And they only, they only specialize with those roadblocks now. They don't try to tackle anybody and wrap them up. And that, that's right. entirely different than what your quarterbacks used to be. I mean, the whole evaluation of a quarterback was good. You wrap a guy up one-on-one, not not mm-hmm. try to throw a roll block at him and get him to go five or eight more yards ahead. Sure. Well, it looks like a scrum now where you have offensive linemen pushing people, you know? Looks like looks like rugby. Gentlemen, we're out of time. Doug, thank you very much once again. Roger, thanks to Roy. All our guests tonight, great show. Take care. Thank you very much. It's all yours, Frank. All right. Thank you. you. Take care, Frank. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Have a great week. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in a uniform, please acknowledge it. Not everybody in that uniform is bad. There are some very, very good people in those uniforms. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Dr. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henna, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. <coughs> Patrol Officer Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Jewish Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levick, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Arnolfo Christen, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Serba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artif Pope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Cal Hogan, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Carlos Harwood, Tony Ellis County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Blaine Lane, Hulk County Sheriff's Office. My brothers and sisters, I am be 10 7 at this point in time. Sometime will be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hollow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Jesus.
Love you and we miss you. 